Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God, I'm so glad you're here. If this is your first time listening to me, hello, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and you come to Gospel Saving Church. We're in McKinney, Texas, and this is one of God's true churches of these last days. I hope you didn't come here to be entertained. For, as I say this all the time, I'm not an entertainer. We're not supposed to be coming to church to be entertained or to laugh or or to, to, to do cutesy things. We're supposed to come to church to learn about God. We're supposed to come to church to learn how to follow God's word or learn God's ways. Or if we're not following God's ways or God's word or trying, we're supposed to be coming to church to maybe learn how to do that, how to begin that journey. But we're certainly not supposed to come to church to be entertained. And you won't see any of the Bible teachers in the Bible teaching that way or any of the apostles teaching their people that way or uh, and so that's we're here today to teach the Word of God and, and to bring the truth with love and with power. And, and I hope you're ready because uh, we're going to begin. Well, we always start with a word of prayer because we know the Bible says we can't understand God's Word unless we have God's Holy Spirit that's helping us understand His Word. So let's ask the Lord to help us understand His Word before we uh, get going so that uh, we can make the most of our being here today. We can make the most of our of our learning or, or hearing God's word today. So, Lord, we, uh, we thank you, and we love you, and we praise you. And we just, Lord, we know, as I said, Lord, we can't understand the things of you unless, Lord God, your Holy Spirit helps us. And so, Lord, we, we pray today, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would help us understand your ways. We, we pray your Holy Spirit would help us understand your words and we pray your Holy Spirit would help us then, if we're yours already then, Lord, to help us follow your ways stronger and help us obey your ways in a deeper way, Lord. We, we, and we pray, Lord God, for those that may be listening to this message for the first time ever or, or they, they've been thinking about contemplating a decision for you, Lord, some, at some point in their lives, Lord, we pray that, that your Holy Spirit through this message, through this word, Lord, would draw them to you, Lord God, that he would help them, Lord, come to repentance unto eternal life. Lord, we, we, we pray. We know, Lord God, that all good things come from you, Lord, and, and we know that salvation and walking with you stronger is, is a good thing from you. So we, we pray and, and ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 16 today. We're going to be in verses 16 through 24. I had to do a double take on that, but again, that's Acts 16, chapter 16, and then verse 16 to verse 24. I'll give you a moment in your Bibles to open up, and, and then we'll read and we'll start. It, it's such a beautiful day that the Lord has given us today, though, amen? I mean, praise God. I mean, we're here, we're alive, we're awake. I mean, there's, there's many people who didn't get a chance to wake up today, and unfortunately, uh, there's many people that didn't get a chance to wake up today that they're not here anymore, and of course they're not in heaven either because they weren't following the Lord Jesus Christ. They they refused His Lordship over their lives for their whole entire lives, and then when they died, their their homecoming and meeting Jesus went and and He met them and saw them and said, "Well, be gone. I, I never knew you," or or you know, unfaithful, unprofitable servant, and they were cast away. So so we get this new day. We get this new day to come to know the Lord and to and to know Him more or to know Him for the first time. And we get a beautiful day. And no matter what you got going on, God is good. God is good. Now, our title of our sermon today is The Undisputed King. Acts chapter 16, 
verses 16 through 24. I'm going to go ahead and read it, and you can read them along with me, or you can uh, just listen along, and you can follow along if you'd like. But here we go, Acts 16, 16 through 24. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Verse 22. Then the multitude rose up together against them, And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, the jailer that would be, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, two weeks ago, our disciples get a crash course, remember, on God's answer of no to some work that they wanted to do for him in Asia. For, we talked about this then, when God says no, that means no, and that's that. And of course, we talked about how when God has the answer of no, then he has a good reason for that answer. And at that time, his good reason was revealed to Paul in a vision. Remember, God wanted them to go to Macedonia to do a work for him and not be in Asia. When God wants his kids to be somewhere or to do something, he has a powerful way to get us there or to get us to stay there. And I speak from experience, of course. And this good work that God gave them by a powerful vision, remember, led them to the Jewish woman Lydia, or Lida, if you want to say however you want to pronounce there, to tell her about Jesus Christ. And as a result of them doing this and them being obedient to God's word, her and her whole household became saved and they were baptized. And, and this, of course, is a result of Paul and his crew being obedient to God's call to go to Macedonia and his answer of no don't go to Asia. So, you know, God just just speaking to me the other day about the fact that, you know, we do a work for the Lord and then sometimes the, the Lord keeps that door open and says, continue to walk through that door. Or when that door shuts, then he's got a new work for us to do. The one, one door closes, another door opens. Uh, but when one door stays open, we got to keep walking through the open door. So this week we find that Paul and his crew, they still have an open door in Macedonia because they're still with Lydda in Macedonia and she had begged them to stay for some time. And so they are still in the city of Philippi. Uh, So obviously God gave them a green light to stay. Uh, In case you're wondering if the name Philippi sounds familiar to you, it should as Paul writes one of his epistles to the Philippian church the church in this city that he and his crew planted probably on the same missionary journey that they're on right now here in Acts 16. So here, Paul and his crew are still staying with Lydda as we open up our new section of scripture today. They're still with Lydda in Macedonia in the city of Philippi. And while there, they, of course, we find them loving and serving and doing work for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and while they're there, they have this extraordinary event 
happened to them. Pick up with me, please, in verses 16 through 18 of our text today. I'm going to read them over, and we're going to talk about them. Now it happened. Here's this extraordinary event. And now it happened as we went to prayer. Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, of course, who's writing the account. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. And in just the first part of 18, and this she did for many days. So one day, as Paul and his crew are going to prayer, remember I told you they're in Macedonia, they're staying with Lydda for some days, they're still loving, serving, and following Jesus Christ. So Paul and his crew, they're going to prayer. One of the Macedonian's slaves who the Bible tells us here was possessed by a demon, right? Or a spirit of divination. And then Luke tells us that this spirit of divination brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Uh, So then Luke tells us that she starts bothering the service and the work of Jesus Christ that Paul and his companions were doing. Now, did you notice what this possessed girl did for her masters? Fortune telling. Keep keep that in your mind. And understand, biblically, a spirit of divination, that's a demon, right? Demons don't know the future, by the way, except the future that God has for them. They know by some encounters with Jesus Christ when demons came to Jesus when they were in people and they came and bothered him. We know that when they came, he they knew what their end was. Uh, Jesus, my Lord, we'll even see that in one section of scripture that we're going to look at today. Je- Jesus, my Lord, have you come here to torment us uh, so soon or already that they know that God's going to win the war at the end? And they know that God's going to cast them all into the lake of fire where they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So anyway, uh, but they do not fortune tell. But what demons do do, what gives them a, a people an idea that they do fortune tell is what they do is, is demons follow around people all over the world. And they watch their lifestyles and they know what they do and they know what they've done and they know what they're possibly going to do in the future. So, of course, they, they're able to tell people because they're constantly watching us because that's what good strategic war people do because demons are at war with God and they're at war with people. And so good strategic people that go to war watch their enemy and they know their enemy. And so this fortune telling that she, that this demon was doing through this woman was only them kind of, hey, this is what's going to happen or because they've only known their future or they only know their past, excuse me, and they only know what they've done and they're gonna, people just do the same things all the time. So be warned, demons don't know the future. But nevertheless, again, notice Notice who did the fortune telling here. Notice who did it, the spirit of divination or the demon. Now, I have some family members that sometime back I overheard a conversation of theirs that were talking about going and talking to one of these people. And I tried to talk them out of it when I heard about it, but I don't think that they listened. But people, please, really think about this. Think about these these fortune tellers that are filled with these demons or they're, they're listening to these demons. Think about this. If you do this kind of thing and you think it's okay, I just have one question for you. The Bible says that those are demons speaking. Do you really want to hear anything that a demon has to say to you? I, I know I sure don't. Uh, considering, as I just kind of said, they hate us. 
Uh, we're made in God's image, the Bible says. And of course, they hate God. And because we're made in God's image, they hate us as well, too. And they don't want anything good for us or our families. So, so please understand, stay away from that kind of stuff. It's not good. And, and God says no. Uh, anyway. Go into what the demon said, although it doesn't know the future, uh, it just knows the past, it certainly does know it's, it's people that it hates. And, and, and so it knew Paul and Silas and Timothy and, and Luke, and it knew what they were doing. And look what the demon said uh, through, through this woman, because it's an amazing testimony to the fact that Paul was truly on God's path. This demon, through the woman, kept saying, this is so powerful, and we're going to spend a lot of time here today, these men are the servants of the Most High God to proclaim, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. I remember I told you we were going to talk about that. What a thing to have said about you. Amen? Uh, now, I know it came from a demon, but still, uh, what a thing to have said about you. These, these people, these men, these women are servants of the God Most High. That, that means the, the great God. Not just, just any God of the peoples, the great God, the most high God. And then the second thing, who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. Notice that she, that she said that they preached the way of salvation, not one of the ways of salvation. She didn't. She didn't say, these men, they tell us one of the great ways that we can know God. Ways? No, no, no. The way, meaning one way of salvation. What exactly did Paul preach as far as the way of salvation? 1 Corinthians 1, 23. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. That means that they preach Jesus Christ as Lord, Savior over the entire world. Paul preached Jesus Christ as the only way to have eternal life with God, because that's what the Christ meant. He was the Savior of the whole world, right? Making every other way a way that's not to eternal life, a way that's not to the God most high, the great God of all the earth, not the, not the idol gods of the people. For the demons, you see, they really know who the boss is. But they're not confused, right? Uh, what this demon, excuse me, they also know who the real and only undisputed king or God of all creation is don't they because they sure proclaim it all the time what this demon says to paul and his crew in Acts 16 reminds me of what the one demon possessed man came and did and said to jesus christ in mark 5 6 and 7 uh, he says scripture records this when, when he saw jesus afar off he ran and worshiped him now this was a demon possessed man and he cried out with a loud voice and said what have i to do with you jesus son of the most High God, that'd be the again the the great God of all the earth, the Creator of all. I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Remember, I told you that we'd see that in Scripture. How the demons know their end; they know what the future is for them and God. They know. And again, here this demon through the slave girl speaks of Paul and his crew and, and who they are from. Jesus Christ, not just anybody, but Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. God, the highest God, not the gods of the peoples or the idols, 
the Most High God, because that's who he and his crew, Paul and his crew, were preaching, right? Funny how all religions of the entire world, including some so-called Christian denominations, claim that Jesus Christ is not the only way to heaven, right? This is a big controversy in our world, right? Many religions, most religions actually, and even some Christian denominations, claim that Jesus Christ was only one of the ways to have eternal life and go to heaven. And we see that through our world, especially in America here. We got the the bumper sticker, the sign on people's glass windows that says coexist. What does that mean? Maybe you've never known. Actually, I knew the just of it, but I never knew the breakdown. But that coexist is an acronym. And the the C-O-E, and then the letters that they use, the C-O-E-X-I-S-T, all stand for something. And what they're trying to say is, is that we should all... All religions should come together because, after all, we're all just worshiping one God, but just in different ways, is what they say. C stands for the Islam. It's the crescent moon of Islam. The O is for the Baha'i faith, or some uh, people think it's the peace symbol. They, they can't even get their own coexist uh, acronym right because some people want to want to worship the Baha'i and some people want to have peace and you know universal peace and all this stuff. The E is uh, male and female. You know, all all are one, male and female. X is the star of David or, or Judaism. The I is paganism. Paganism. The S is Taoism, and the T, of course, last. You see. Interesting how they put the real truth last. The T stands for Christianity, it, as it's the cross. And this whole idea of, hey, the world, let's, as a world, we all, let's all come together and let's worship God. Because, you know, we're all just worshiping the same God anyway. It's all just one God. Even though the demon here, these are the servants of the Most High God. And, and these are the ones that proclaim to us the way of salvation. Again, not one of the ways of salvation. Then you got the new movement that's come out recently in the past, I would say, five to six years, and it's called uh, Chrislam or Chislam, however you want to say it. And, and what that is, is there's a whole group that's trying to get Islamics, Christians, and Jews to all come together. For, for after all, we're all monotheistic and, you know, we're all our religions, you know, they, they kind of spurned on from the Middle East and the Crescent area over there. And so after, after all, really, we're just worshiping the same God. Let's just come together and stop fighting. And we, our, all our ways are good. You know, Christianity and Judaism and, and Islam, they're all the same God. You know, come on, let's just, let's just have you know, a worship to one God. And where they've even got Christians going into mosques and, 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 and Islamic people, Muslims going into churches and they're putting uh, Qurans in Christian churches and, and Bibles. And, and, and wow, uh, people are so confused. They're just so confused. They think, they think that we're, we're just one God, but we just worship in our different way, even though the, the religious texts speak of different gods completely. Allah is nothing like Jehovah. Allah is nothing like Christ in the Bible. And then (laughs) the God of Judaism, which is the one true God, but their Jews are confused and they're blinded right now, right? Until all the fullness of the Gentiles come in. The the Jewish God is the Christian God, but, but the Jews don't worship him the correct way, right? Jesus Christ said, I am the way and the truth of life. No man comes to the Father but through me, right? The Jews are still worshiping the, the God, the, the, the God of all creation, but in a, in a un, 
for, from him, from his perspective, they're worshiping in him in, in, a, in a, a way that he doesn't accept anymore. And so, yet all the peoples of the world, they're so confused and they're so self-deceived about who the God, the great God, the, right? The most high God of all creation is. Those who really know, right? What do we see in scripture? The demons, Satan, they know 100% who the undisputed king of all creation is. And that is Jesus Christ. Again, the only begotten son of the most high God. And the Bible calls him the sustainer of life. This is such a powerful idea in scripture here that this demon-possessed girl proclaimed toward Paul and his crew, isn't it? Not sure what you who are listening to me believe, but I hope you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and the only way to be right with God. And of course, that he is the undisputed king of all creation. Again, as I said earlier, he said it himself. Jesus Christ, his words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Him is what he's saying. I'm the undisputed king. God of all creation and the only way to heaven. I'm the only way you can be right with God. This fact, this, this idea that he proclaimed here was a fact that, that history tells us that the disciples died for. It was a fact that here we're going to see in a little bit, Paul and Silas will be arrested and flogged for. As again, again, I said they'll be doing that. It'll be happening to them shortly. And, and it was a truth that all the demons then proclaimed and are still proclaiming to this day. They say that history, I want you to really think about this. One of my ex-managers at a business I used to work for said, you know, he always used to, or he said this, this, this statement, which is a very true statement actually in history. History is written by the winners. And again, that is a true statement. If you think about it, history is written by the winners. Losers don't get to write the history, right? From a loser's perspective, they're, they're, they're losers. They, they didn't get anything. The, the winners, though, the ones that won the wars, the one that, they're the ones writing things, right? So, again, that statement, history is written, written by winners. Uh, yet, historically, I want you to think about this as, a, as an actual fact and a provable thing about Christianity historically, Christianity has been the biggest loser. And what I mean by that is, not that Christians are losers, but Christianity has been the overall biggest loser because Christians have been hunted down, persecuted seemingly to extinction by whole empires, and even hunted down and forced to convert or or. They were tried to force convert. The Catholics were trying to forcefully convert the Christians because, uh, you know, they have a different spin on Scripture that kind of changes who God is, right? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of real Christians have been tortured to death, lit on fire to light a garden, impaled, some of them being then lit on fire afterwards, burned alive, crucified, and again, seemingly all unto extinction. Yet, in spite of all the efforts of the devil working through people to extinguish the one true God of all the earth, to make his presence unknown in this world anymore, despite all the efforts to extinguish true Christianity by many, and I mean by many, all efforts have failed miserably. 
today, Christ and the holy religion that he set up on earth almost 2,000 years ago remains steadfast and is in fact growing in numbers-wise all over the world. There's huge reports in in different countries about the the amount of Muslims actually coming to Christ. It's it's more than history's ever seen. People are being converted by God to to the true Christian faith, and and it's growing even despite the latest and greatest attempts by Islamic extremists to wipe us out. Because that, that's the new, uh, late, great thing that the devil's trying to work on in other countries. Here in America, he's got the apostasy going on. People are falling away and dropping off like flies. But, but in other countries where Satan's winning a little in a different you know, on a different arena, right? Satan's wiping people out by extinction by Islamic extremists, right? And by guerrilla by guerrilla groups. But nevertheless, as I just said, despite all efforts to extinguish extinguish us, Christianity and Christ in people's hearts are growing. And in fact, Jesus Christ said that the gates of hell would not prevail against this church, and he was right. As some of the biggest losers in history, Christian and the Christian faith still remain and exists as a very powerful force in our world. Now, all of these statistics that I just gave you, what do they do? The fact of what we've been through, yet we're still here. How little and how extinct people try to extinguish us. What do they all do? They all equate out to some pretty just amazing evidence that, that can't be disproven, right? Uh, along with being some amazing proof of Jesus Christ being what? The real Christ, the only real way to heaven and the only way to be right with God. And of course, as the title again, and the, as the undisputed king of all creation above all other gods of the world that people worship or we'll call them idols. Uh, again, not sure what you who are listening to me believe, but I hope it's in and only in Jesus Christ, the only way to be saved. If it's not... I'll talk to you for a minute here. And, and this, this is such a powerful statement that this demon-possessed girl made against Paul and his, and, and his servants that were with him. If it's not, I, I want to challenge you with these questions. Would the disciples have died for Christ if he was a liar? Just think about that. If Christ was a liar, would the disciples who knew him the best, they, if anybody would have known that he was a liar, or a madman, they would have known it. They spent three and a half years with him. So they would have known. So would his own very own disciples have died for Christ if he was a liar? When they were A, they weren't militant, and B, they were all either arrested and then tortured for their faith. Again, they were all given the chance, whether you know this or not, to recant who they believed in, right? They believed that Jesus was the only way to heaven. He was the only Christ. And they were all given the the way out by being promised that they wouldn't be put to death and they wouldn't be tortured anymore if they would just deny one fact. Just one. It wasn't, they didn't didn't have to do all dump through hoops or they didn't, hey, they could have had their, they could have had Jesus and, and, and they could have just done, you know, whatever, but they wanted him to deny one fact and they would have let him go. And that one fact that they wanted him to deny to stop the torture, to stop them, you know, from being killed was that they would not, so that they would not say that Jesus was the only way to heaven. 
that he was the Christ. The one begot, the only one begotten of God came to save all humanity. Yet, all of them gave up their lives willfully. And for this one fact, they wouldn't deny this one fact. And why would they have done this if Jesus wasn't who he said that he was? I mean, you got, you got to think about this, right? They weren't militant. They didn't die in battle. They, they weren't fighting for their right. And then, you know, they got killed in the midst of battle. They all died as peaceful men proclaiming Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven. That's pretty powerful. Next question. If you believe all ways lead to heaven, which a lot of people do, then you believe that all religious books have an authority, which I've talked to many people who say that they do. And so, if that's you and you believe that, how can you believe this idea of always lead to heaven when Jesus Christ himself says, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What he did there was he made himself the only way to have peace with God and the only way to get to heaven. Making his statement dash your belief to pieces. He himself doesn't even agree with you that all religions lead to heaven. He said, only me. Not even the practice of the biblical things get people to heaven. Those are just good works. He said, only through me. Now listen, if the Bible has validity and truth, which you believe it does, because I've talked to many people that say, oh man, the Bible is one of the ways, then listen, Jesus Christ saying he was the only way to heaven must be a truth to you. It must be one of the truths that you believe, unless you're calling him a liar, and then you're not going to believe the Bible at all, which then disputes, well, I believe that the Bible is a way to heaven. You, you see, you can't believe both. You either believe what he said about himself being the only way to heaven, right? Just like the demon proclaimed here through the demon-possessed woman, or else you call him a lunatic and a liar, and you say, I don't believe him. And then you got to say, well, I don't believe in the Bible at all, which then contradicts your very initial thing that you've thought maybe your whole life that always lead to heaven. So who's the liar and who's the lunatic? Is it Jesus Christ or are you confused? And you got to think, do you believe him to be a liar? Do you believe him to be a lunatic? If you believe that the Bible gives people a true faith and religion, which you say that you do, many of you do, and then it is one of the religious religions that lead people to God, you either must believe that Jesus is who he said he was and then accept him as who he said he was, Jesus, the Christ, the only way to heaven, the one that the disciples died for, the one that history records that they died for, only wanting them to deny that one fact, or you must believe him a liar or a lunatic, and it's just that simple. Just think on those ideas, please, because there are truly ideas that you must weigh in to know the real truth of who the undisputed king of all creation is. Do you really care who God is? Or are you just happy to believe what you were taught by someone else or your family members when you were growing up? I'll come back to this topic at the end of the message. Anyway, let's get back to the rest of our message now. I know I went on a long tangent, but it was a necessary one. And in fact, I actually, in my, one of my first drafts of this sermon, I, I had all that birthed in me from God that he wanted me to put it all down, and I kind of skipped it over, and I went on to the next verse. And then as I went back through my second and third edits, God was like, nope, 
you need to put that in there. You need to point that out. I want you to point that out. That's going to be the main topic of the sermon, and that's where the sermon title came from. So anyway, I couldn't pass it over. God wouldn't let me until I actually wrote it down. So anyway, getting back. Remember, this demon-possessed slave girl is walking around with Paul and Silas, proclaiming that they were servants of, remember, the Most High God, which is Jesus Christ, which is pretty awesome. But we see that to Paul, she is a problem, right? And he becomes annoyed with her. Remember, he... He turns around, you know, she's, she's following them. What could have been the problem with this demon saying these amazing things about Paul and his crew? Well, you got to look at the first part of 18 again, if you want to look down with your eyes there. And this she did for many days. This isn't just something, think about it, that they're going around, they're praying with people, they're praying, going out to prayer, they're going out to evangelize, and then a girl walks up behind them, these people are servants of the Most High God, uh, and, and, and the way, you know, the, the way, right, to eternal life, right? And then she just leaves. No, that's not what happened. Many days means that she followed them around day in and day out for many days and she kept saying the same thing and she kept yelling it behind them as they were going around trying to do God's work. Now, it was probably an honor for her to say what she was saying for a while or at first, but after she started proclaiming what she did, uh, think of it, day on, day in and day out, day after day after day, nonstop, she kept following them around, proclaiming the same one thing. Just think of it. Think of these things. How do you minister to others or focus on hearing from God or His Holy Spirit to minister to others if you constantly have someone yelling behind you? I don't care what they're yelling. These men proclaim to us the way of eternal life or, or hey, these men are great or oh, hey, these men are bad no matter what they're saying. How can you serve God and, and talk to others if you've got somebody yelling something behind you everywhere you go in public? The answer is you, you can't. How do others even hear you clearly to understand what you're saying when someone keeps following around and yelling and whatever they're yelling, right? You, the answer is you can't. Uh, when we hear as Gospel Saving Church go out to evangelize and do street ministry for Jesus Christ, one of my, one of my lines, my, my most famous line that God gave me years back as I walk up to somebody and I stick my hand out if I can and I say, hey man, you, you got a few minutes to talk to me about Jesus Christ? And you know, then, then, then it's up to them. They can either say yes or no or get away from me with that junk or whatever. Now, now think, when I would do this, if anyone was standing behind me, these men are the greatest street preachers of all the earth. These men are doing that, da, 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 da. and I had someone yelling behind me, how would my handshake and me going, hey man, would you have a few minutes? They wouldn't be able to hear me. They'd be like, man, what's this guy? Huh? What's this? Can you shut the person up that's behind you? I, honestly? For Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke here, for me, my crew, it wouldn't be profitable. The outreach, outreach would be a waste. And this is the problem here that Paul and his crew were running into. The problem demon-possessed slave girl that Paul, caused Paul to be frustrated and angry. It's very, it was a real problem. Even though what she was saying was good... The way she was doing it and how she was doing it and the, 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 the level of her voice, that was all bad. 
what does Paul do about their ministry problem? Look at the rest of verse 18 after he turns to her. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, here we go, the King of all creation, the undisputed King, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. Paul commands the demon to lose his grip on the girl. And the demon obeys and departs. Paul here exhibits the same power over the demons as Christ himself did when he uh, lived in the flesh on earth. He cast the demon out. Was or is Paul the only one that had this ability or has this ability? Not quite. He was just a man that was a born-again believer of Jesus Christ, just like all those who are today. And remember Jesus' promise to those who are such. Me today, if you are that way today, Mark 16, 15, remember. And these signs will follow those whom believe. He didn't say might follow. He said will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. But the very first thing he says that we're going to be able to do is cast out demons. Which means that if, and that's a big if, if you are really born again, and if you're a born again believer and you're following Jesus Christ, that you can still cast out demons even today, February 25th, 2018. If you're a true born-again believer in Christ following him, uh, don't let the devil deceive you into thinking that you can't do this. Because that's a big thing. The war is in the mind. Always remember that, Christians. The war is in the mind. If the devil can make you think that you're not, you can't do this or you can't do that, whatever, then you've lost and you're not going to be able to do it. But if you have God's Holy Spirit living in you, and you haven't fallen from grace back into sin, and you're, and, you're, and you're following Him, and you're not in disobedience to Christ, then you can still cast out demons even today, just as Jesus Christ did, just as Paul does here with his ministry problem. Is casting out demons always going to be the most popular thing you do, if you have to do it? Well, I'd have to say almost 99.99999% of the time, yes, but Scripture tells us that it's not always the most popular thing that happened to the disciples, even to Jesus. Look at verse 19. But when her, that'd be the demon-possessed girl's masters, saw that their hope of profit was gone, because again, the demon was then cast out, they seized, look at these harsh words here, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. This demon had made this slave girl of such value to her owners that when the demon was cast out and the poor slave girl's master saw that they could no longer turn a profit off of her, they were angry. And so they grab her, seize Paul and Silas, right? We don't read about Timothy or we don't read about Luke here. We, we read here that the two main people here that were doing the work for the Lord were Paul and Silas. And they drag them to the authorities. Brutal scene, really. Now, now think, Paul writes in one of his epistles to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.6 6, that the love of money is the root to all kinds of evil. And really, it is. He, here, these slave girl owners, they, they love their money so much even to the hurt of the poor demon-possessed slave girl, that they're furious at her deliverance. Money was one of their gods. Money was one of their idols. Forget about to them what it must have been like for this poor slave girl to be in bondage to this demon. 
right? Probably for years. And now forget about what, she, what it must be like for her to be free, right? Think about when you've been delivered from some terrible experience in life or some terrible problem that you were having or how you felt so free. This, this girl must have been like, wow, this is what life is like again. Forget about that. They just didn't care about her. They wanted their money, honey. That's the way you can look at it. So angry were the slave girl's owners that they even lied to get Paul and his crew in trouble. Look at verses 20 and 21. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Now, remember, they preached Christ crucified, which was Christ as the undisputed king of all creation, above all so, so called all other so-called gods of the people, which was not something that the Romans couldn't receive or observe. Any Roman, any person on earth could receive and observe Jesus Christ as Lord. It wasn't going to be the most popular thing for them to do, but they still had the choice to do it. And, and I also want you to realize that them preaching Christ crucified, the undisputed king, was only a problem, even such a problem that they said that Paul and Silas were exceedingly troubling their city, that these accusations were only made against them after their money-making honey was no longer thus. Money was and is still a huge god, small g god though, idol to people as it was to these slave girls' owners. And let me tell you what, whenever you realize this, or whether you realize this or not, but when you mess with people's idols or their small g gods, they really get angry. They really get frustrated. I, I often, uh, when God gives me opportunity, as I'm serving him always and constantly often, uh, what happens to me is I get these people that come at me with this once saved, always saved, unconditionally garbage and this Calvinism garbage, and yet I destroy it when God brings me a participant. And, and I'm going to tell you what, this, this doctrine is such an idol to people that I get attacked for destroying their idol all the time. And my favorite Thing that people do today, not when I destroy their God of Oasis or Calvinism, as when the majority of the people that I talk to about it can't answer me with a logical, justifiable argument for what they believe, uh, as again, or another God, whoever I'm talking to, is if I'm trying to, if I'm talking to somebody that just believes in Buddhism or Hinduism or whatever, and I and I talk to them about Christ and I give them proof is where they can't, uh, what they do is, is they don't, when they can't disprove me, or they can't give me a justifiable argument, what they do is they attack me. It always comes down to personal attack. They always attack me personally. Well, what does attacking me personally, and I, and I even have a friend of mine, a brother in Christ, that, that moved, had to move to another state, another city, and, and he knows that, that I, I'm, I, I just wrote a book or I'm trying to finish up a book, trying to edit a book that's against unconditional, once saved, always saved. And so he, he kind of sits on my side, but he kind of falters. He's kind of curious and he's not 100% sure, but he's going to a church right now where there's many men that believe in Oasis or, or unconditional, once saved, always saved. And so what he's done is, is he wanted to copy my book, not to give away or to sell or whatever, but he wanted to copy my book just to see what I had to say. And, and I wanted a proofreader, so he did. And so as he got it, what he did was he took the words and he kind of was like, oh yeah, I see. And then he went in and he he started talking to the people about it and of course bam they came against because people don't like it when you come against their god because oasis is a god to people and what do they do from his own admission to me about these people immediately 
they get went on the offensive against not necessarily the doctrine, but me. Calling me terrible names. Calling me terrible things. Saying horrible things about me. Why, why would you attack somebody personally when you don't believe with their doctrine? If somebody's wrong with their teaching, you don't attack them personally. You just speak bad about their doctrine. But no, they attack me viciously. So I know all about the vicious business of attacking and destroying people's idols. Same as Gideon did in the Old Testament. That's for another sermon. Anyway, moving forward. Did Paul and Silas get a fair trial for their freeing this poor slave girl and destroying the slave girl's owner's idol of money? Or were they appointed a day in court to speak and, and you know defend themselves? Were they offered a, a defense attorney? Heavens no, not for destroying an idol or a false god wrecking it, right? Not for that work. Look at verses 22 and 23. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes. Now, I always read this to, to believe that the magistrates, like they were Jews, tore their clothes like uh, because they were so upset at what they said. But that was a Jewish thing. What they did, and we know about what they say next, is they had or they did themselves tore off the clothes of Paul and Silas. And we know that because after they tear off Paul and Silas's clothes, rest of verse 22, they commanded them to be beaten with rods. You see, it's a common practice. You tear off people's clothes before you're going to beat them with rods. It's, it's called caning nowadays. And many countries still use this process of caning uh, to... Uh, punish their guilty uh, as corporal punishment with the rod, right? It's like a hard stick or a wood or uh, like a bamboo stick or something. And that leaves a better impression. You don't want it to have to go through clothes. You want it on bare skin. Subcultures today still use this method of punishing guilty victims. These canes or rods are, again, usually hard sticks or something like bamboo, and they're given on bare flesh. And you can actually see that. Unfortunately, I, I don't, I don't suggest it, but you can go online and you can actually watch it happen. And it's, it's, it's a pretty brutal thing. But that's what happens here to Paul and Silas because they destroy the, the this, this slave girl's owner's idol of the making money. Uh, do they just give them a few strikes with these canes? Verse twenty three keep going and when they had laid many stripes on them they threw them into prison commanding the jailer to keep them securely so paul and silas get arrested stripped of their clothes beaten with wooden rods with many stripes then sent to prison and all for what for the terrible crime of not right it's not a terrible crime right for the terrible crime of preaching the gospel and doing the miracle of exercising a demon from a poor slave girl what a reward. Uh, I wonder how we today in our Christian world today, here in America especially, how we would look at this being a reward or a punishment from God. Would we, go, would we in America go, Oh God, I did all these good things for you, God. Why did you let this happen to me? I wonder if that's what we'd say because we're in a big culture nowadays that blames God. And please don't think here, getting back, that these canings were, were just a whole lot, a bunch of light lashes either. Uh, verse 33 of this section, I won't get that far today, but you can roll your eyes down to verse 33 in the section where it says that the jailer later washed their stripes. Well, the only reason someone has to wash someone's stripes from the strikes of a whip of a cane is because their caning left their back, legs, whatever else was exposed, bleeding and with open wounds. Do you see what Paul and Silas look like here after their caning 
Yeah, you can actually get a visual image of it if you think about it. It's kind of scary. And of course, open wounds like they receive from their uh, dedication to follow God's vision to preach Jesus Christ in Macedonia are not too sanitary when literally right after their cane, Luke tells us in verse 23 that they commanded the jailer to put them in prison securely. Now, was this the type of prison that we have here in America that they were thrown into and shackled in where the prisoners are mostly better kept than the majority of our most of our lower income peoples and those struggling, right, financially? Look at verse 24. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison. Ouch. Inner prison. That doesn't sound good. And fastened their feet in the stocks. So heavens, no, it was not like what we give our most hardened criminals today in America. Paul and Silas were in a dirty, rat-infested dungeon. Their feet were shackled in nasty, filthy, iron-like handcuffs that if the more they moved, the more those rusty, shackled metal things dug into their skin and would cut their skin open. Uh, There was no light, probably either morning or night. Think pitch black darkness, right? Think of inner prison. Now we know at least at night there was no light. They didn't even get light. Verse 29 tells us that the jailer came in from, and he called for a light before he actually went in to see them. This is a tremendously horrible and vile place to be where people would die if left too long. Really, it wasn't even fit for a human being, and really that was the point. If someone had or has raped or sodomized little girls or boys or women or murdered innocent people, defrauded people of their savings, leaving them poverty-stricken, committed treason against their country, this is the type of place, this type of places, this type of creature or inhuman individual should be kept in. Uh, Kept there on barely enough food and water to survive with no AC or heat, a place where they die a horrible and painful death shortly after they arrive. Oh my, did I say that out loud? I'm so sorry. No, I'm not. Because the very last thing before we close I want to talk about is how we in America, in our culture, treat these hardened, brutal, inhuman creatures of these murderers and these child molesters, how we treat them better than we do our, our, low, our people in our world that are struggling, that are on hard times. Paul and Silas didn't belong in such a place, but I can definitely see the need for this type of place and for even those uh, of public canings and even public hangings. I think those have a place in our society, as, uh, the same as the Paul and Silas got the caning here. But I, I believe that those have a place in our society in America because, again, we give too much Uh, kindness to the people that have done so much wrong and we don't give any kindness to those that are struggling uh, disabled veterans uh, people that have to care for Alzheimer's and dementia patients uh, special needs people uh, crippled loved ones that people have to take care of we we don't give them enough attention but we but we take care of a, a rapist Uh, We take care of a murderer in in our prisons where they get three square meals a day and they get a gym to work out in and they they get books to read to further their education when when they should be on death row or they should be in a place like Paul and Silas were. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry to go on that tangent, but I just hate that aspect of our country. I believe that that needs to change. I'm not sure if other countries are the same way. I don't think all are. But I definitely think that America has to change in its way that we treat hardened criminals. If you 
I hope you agree with me. If someone's raped a child or woman or or cheated someone out of their entire life savings and they've murdered people, someone cold blood where they've caught them, these people need this kind of punishment that Paul and Silas got. If it's proven, actually really proven, not not railroaded. But anyway, that's my my tangent. I started to go on such a long tangent, but I feel very strongly about that topic and, and wish that could change for the better in America. And I actually believe that if we were to grow stronger against these, these heinous, inhuman, inhuman, non-human beings that did these heinous, awful things, that that would send a message to anybody thinking about that. To be like, wow, well, I know what this guy had to go through. I'm not going to go there. And I think it would decrease the actual level of how much that happened in our country. Anyway, sorry to go on such a long tangent. Let me get finished up with the message because our time is almost up for today. Uh, We will have to finish Paul and Silas' story for uh, the rest of their story about what happens to them in the next week or two. But uh, as I close, now I don't want you to think that the whole idea about this message was what I covered in the end. I don't want you to think that making sure horrible convicts that have done heinous things to actual human beings, I don't want you to think that this message was all about them getting what they deserve. And I think it needs to change, but that's not what I want you to take away from this message. That, that was just an idea that fell on my heart as I was preaching the end of the message. What I mainly want you to take away from this message is the title, Right? This isn't in the title, but we know Jesus, the Christ, that was the context, being the undisputed king of all creation. And all the ideas that I mentioned earlier, recapping, Jesus Christ being the only way to heaven caused, this idea caused, one, demons to proclaim it. And two, the disciples eventually all go into their demise, not again, not militantly, but peacefully, with a choice to save their lives, as history tells us, that all they had to do was just recant one fact to save their lives. One fact to skip out the corporal punishment of being, being beaten to death. They just, had to, they just had to recant the fact that Jesus was the Christ, the God of all creation, the undisputed king of all creation. Yet they didn't. Him being the undisputed king of all creation caused Paul and Silas, as I go to the end of our message now, to go to Macedonia to serve him for the sole work of not doing, not feeding people, feeding the homeless, which is all, they're all good things, okay? But it didn't send them there to do anything but spread the message of Jesus as the Christ and the only way to God. Christ crucified the undisputed king of all creation. And this trip caused, as we will read, Paul and Silas to be beaten with rods of bamboo, some types of heart sticks, many times, which left them with open wounds all over their bodies. Then they, like, like they were terrible, horrible child molesters, were thrown into an inner dark, horrible dungeon and shackled by their feet. Yet, they didn't complain. We'll pick up next week with verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God. They were rejoicing, as Jesus Christ said to do, rejoice when you're persecuted for my name's sake. They were rejoicing. And they all, all the disciples, plus Paul, plus Barnabas, plus Silas, Timothy, Luke, did it all and suffered terribly and greatly for no earthly gain nor power. None. Yet for the fact, they did it all, that Jesus was indeed the undisputed king of all creation, the only begotten son of God, and the only way to God, 
and the only way to get to heaven, right? I'm not sure what person or religion you may follow today, you who may be listening to me today, but if it's not Jesus the Christ of the Holy Bible and who he said he was, the only begotten Son of God, undisputed King of all creation, then you are worshiping a false God. And the God of all the universe desires you to know him. He desires you to worship him and desires you to decide to love him back as he had, has loved you and he, as he loves you today. How does the God of all the universe say that we should come and know and worship and love him? Peter, Acts 3.19, gives us, gives us a, a prelude, gives us just a hint. Acts 3.19, he says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, and that your sins may be blotted out. Repentance just means that you change your mind, your heart's mind, towards who you worship, Let's say you worship the God of Allah, the God of Buddha, the God of money, the God of cars, the God, whatever God runs you, whatever small G God that's not going to save you, whatever God it runs you, and that you turn in your heart and you stop worshiping those false gods, and you st- or even if it's the God of yourself, and you turn in your heart of hearts, you turn to God Almighty, the God of the Bible. And then you be converted. It means that you no longer stay in the condition of, of the wrong way, but you turn your hard hearts to the right way. You have an internal conversion. But the Bible says that we can't come to God on our own, right? We've been talking about it the whole sermon. John 14, 6, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, truth, and life. No man comes to the Father except through me. For the Bible says that we can't come to him directly, the God of the Bible, God, Jehovah, God, God the Father. We must come to him through his Son, Jesus Christ, for there's only way to him is through Jesus Christ. So how did Jesus Christ say that we repent? If we want to repent, if we want to turn our way, if we want to stop worshiping the false gods, and we want to turn to, to the God of the Bible, we need to Matthew 16, 24 or 25, as Jesus Christ puts it, how we repent to him. So we turn away from our false gods, gods of our money, gods of ourselves, and he says this, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That means, hey, put all that to the side. Turn away from all that crap. Take up his cross and follow me. That means that you turn and you start to begin to do what Jesus did, follow him, make him your God. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Meaning if you want your earthly life, and you want to rule your earthly life, and you want to be in control, and you want to worship whatever God you want to worship, well, then you're going to lose eternal life. But whoever loses his life for my sake means that I've forsaken the way of my life that I've been going. I'm forsaking those false gods. I'm forsaking the gods of money, the gods of myself, the gods of idols, the gods of Allah, the gods of Buddha, the gods of Hinduism. And you know what? I'm going to lose my life. I'm going to surrender turn my life to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to worship Him. And I'm only going to worship Him. And he, I'm going to make Him my Lord. He, he's going to be my Lord. I'm going to make Jesus Christ my Savior. I'm going to become a follower of Christ. I'm not going to become a follower of myself anymore. I'm not going to be a Buddhist anymore. I'm not going to be a Hindu anymore. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. For man, all the, whole, all the demons even know who the real God is. Wow, man, the disciples died horrible deaths just because they wouldn't deny that. That's called repentance. That's called repentance when we turn away from ourselves and our false gods and we turn to the true living God. Again, not sure what religion or person you follow, 
But Jesus Christ gave up his life on the cross to pay for your sins for you. He spilled his blood on the cross for you to offer you a chance to be saved from your sins and to make peace with your maker, your creator, Jehovah, the one and only God of all the universe. Will you repent today by turning away from the false gods you worship, which yourself or your love of your money or cars or houses or Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or, or all the religions, whatever religion in the world you worship, which really, I hate to tell you, they're not gods at all. You don't have to be confused, but they're really not gods at all because you know why? They, even if you don't want to believe the Bible, which you're wrong for doing, but even if you don't want to believe it, they don't bring you any peace. They don't bring you any peace. You have to do mantras and you have to do sayings and you have to do, do all these meditations to find some kind of peace. For Jesus Christ brings peace between you and God without any of all, the, all those practices. The moment you turn to him and put your life in your hands. And so will you today turn and, and, and to the only one that can bring peace between you and God and in your heart? And, and the one that can give you new life? and a new heart now and change the, 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 the evil things that you feel and the evil person that you are and that can give you eternal life someday when you die. Listen, everybody will die someday. That day could be for you today. Listen, Jesus Christ gave up everything for you. All he wants is your heart dedicated to him and no other. Now I gave you mountains of evidence for my God today. What evidence do you have for your God? The God that someone else has told you about. The God that you're hoping is real but can't really be too sure actually exists outside of what some people have told you why they think he does or, or, or that they hope that their religious texts are actually accurate. Please, don't fool around. There, there's lots more evidences of the Bible actually being God's Word and Jesus Christ actually being the Christ and look up Simon Greenfield and look at uh, actual uh, prophecy in the Bible and look up uh, prophecies in, in historicity, right? And you'll see. But please stop fooling around. Get, get either turning to Jesus Christ today uh, or crying out to Him and, and, and going and seeking these truths about Him to find out if I'm right. See if I'm right or, and see who's right and see who's wrong. Please, see, I, I challenge you, but please don't fool around with God and Jesus Christ anymore. Please cry out to Christ today and ask him to start a beautiful relationship with him today and receive new life now and eternal life and peace with God and Christ forever when you die. I hope that you make this life-changing decision today. You won't regret it. You won't regret it one day. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word. Thank you so much for your truths. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your amazing grace. Lord God, as many, Lord God, in this world believe themselves to be yours, but they're not. And you said so in Matthew chapter 7. Many will come to me that day and say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. Be gone from me, you who practice iniquity. And, and Lord, and, and there's many today that believe that they're saved because they're a Buddhist or they're a Hindu or they're a Muslim and they think that when they die that their God is going to welcome them into the eternal gates of whatever they consider heaven, Lord. But God, my Father, they don't have any proof for their religion. 
They don't have any reason why they believe other than, well, that's just what people have taught me since I was a kid. And so I just have to believe it because, you know, that's what I was taught. That's what I was brought up. But, Lord God, it'd be no different, Lord, if a man or a woman child or a man or a woman raised their children and taught them that the tree was, you know, a way to do something. And it doesn't mean that that was really a fact. It just meant that that's what they were taught. Everything we're taught is not always true, Lord. So, so I pray for those listening today that they would seek the truth, Lord God, that they would seek your face, that they would seek to see, Lord, if Jesus Christ is real. Or, or Lord God, if, if hopefully what the evidence that I brought up today is, is true enough, Lord, they would just turn to Christ and they would just repent and turn away from their false gods and turn away from their false religions, Lord, and worship the one true God of all the universe, the one that can bring peace. <laughs> the one that brings true, true happiness, the one that brings the only way to eternal life. And that's Jesus Christ. Please help make the decision today. I pray they'd stop fooling around and stop suppressing the truth. And we ask these things and pray these things all in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.